listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's just good to gather with you this morning. As Eric said, we're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning. And so if you need a Bible, if you would raise your hand and uh, Matt will bring a Bible around to you this morning. So just keep your hand up till he finds you. Love for you to be able to read along with us uh, out of the scriptures this morning. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that home with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, so you can have God's Word all throughout the week. But say especially this morning, uh, it'd be important for all of us to have the Bible, whether that's in paper form or electronic form this morning, as we're going to be spending a lot of time in uh, the book of Philippians. And so go ahead and, uh, and open up to the book of Philippians this morning. But as you're doing that, uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and ask Him to bless our time in His Word this morning. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we come before You this morning. And we come before you in need of grace, all of us, whether we've had a a really great week this week full of joy and praise to you, or it's been a really difficult week and we've struggled with sin or struggled with unbelief. God, all of us need grace. As we read and heard from Titus 2 this morning, grace has appeared, salvation has come in Christ, but grace is also necessary for us to continue on the journey that we're on. And so we give you thanks that you're a God of grace, of abundant grace. And so I pray this morning as we get into your word and look at Philippians, God, I pray that your living and active word would be, and we would receive it as a means of grace to us this morning, that you would refresh our hearts, that you would revive our lives. I pray that our time in your word would just be a means to to bringing that about, that that you would use it by the power of your Holy Spirit in us this morning. And as we receive what you have for us today, I pray that you'd give us joy in Jesus. And that as we walk out of this place, that we would be a rejoicing people. We give you thanks for your love for us, your patience with us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as uh, Eric mentioned this morning, today we are coming to the end of a journey And the journey that we've been in is we've been walking through the book of Philippians now for about the last six months. We started it back in September and have taken a short little break in there, but for the most part have just been in the book of Philippians for the last six months as a church. And so today we're going to be wrapping that up. And and as we've walked through this letter, it's this short letter, but it is full of truth. And God has given us his word in the book of Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul a long, long time ago, but it's been so good for us to learn from it. It's a a letter of encouragement that Paul has written to a struggling, small little church that finds itself in a city and a culture that is set against Jesus and his ways. And Paul, who has had a, a longstanding relationship, has a dear friendship with this church. He saw people come to know and follow Jesus for the very first time. He was a part of planting this church, establishing it in this city that did not have a local church in it. And now he's sitting in a prison cell as he writes this letter, sitting in a prison cell for preaching Jesus. And these Philippian friends of his 
are anxious and worried about what's going on with Paul, and they're anxious and worried about the mission of God going forward and the church continuing, seeing things starting to unravel a bit. And so Paul's writing to them to encourage them. He's writing to them to encourage them to stay faithful to following Jesus and to fight for joy no matter what life may bring, whether it's messy or mundane. But as we've seen throughout our time in Philippians, this isn't just a letter for the church in Philippi. It's a letter for us as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes there to Timothy and to us, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What that means is is that the letter to the Philippians is God's living and active word given to you, given to me, given to us as a collective body of believers, another local church that finds itself in the midst of a culture that's set against Christ, that does not seek to exalt Christ or follow Christ or encourage you to do that either. And our time in this letter has been refreshing and challenging, a refreshing and challenging journey that we've been in, that we've seen Paul give these exhortations and commands, things like putting Christ first above all, about living for Him alone, striving for unity, a call to be humble men and women who seek to put each other's needs above our own, being people who forget the past but press on to what lies ahead, remembering who we are in Christ, living as citizens of heaven and not of this world People who resolve conflict in a gracious and kind and loving way and are generous people. And all of this that Paul has given to us is with a heart set on the beauty and the wonder and the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the very Son of God, who's existed for all eternity, would come to dwell among us, taking on our humanity so that he could bring about redemption in your life and my life, that he lived the perfect life, that you and I are unable to live on our own, and then went to a cross bearing the weight and punishment for all of our sin so that you and I can be reconciled to God, not based on anything we do in and of ourselves, but completely what he's done for us. That we come before a holy and righteous God, not with our abilities and our good deeds. We come empty-handed before Him, simply clinging to the cross of Christ. But we don't have a Savior who just died on the cross for us. We have a Savior who rose again from the grave. He's resurrected and He's alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father, still interceding for us. And Paul has called us to that, to to exalt Christ, to have an elevated view of Christ, knowing that our only hope in life and death is that we belong to God. And Paul has called us to faithfulness and joy, not in some amorphous or disconnected way. It's faithfulness and joy that's rooted in the person of Christ. Faithfulness and joy that's rooted in the work of Christ for who he is and what he's done and the fact that he will come again to make all things new. So now we come to the end of this letter, these last three verses that Paul writes to the Philippians and to us. And as we look at these verses, it's just a a simple final salutation. But even in this final greeting, there's encouragement and a reminder to us that there is grace to continue. The grace to continue. 
See, even though we are coming to the end of Philippians, our journey isn't over yet. God has shown us and taught us a lot, but now as followers of Jesus, we can strive together to live by grace and faith to do all that he has called us to while rejoicing in the Lord. And like most of the New Testament, this letter is intended for a community. It's not written to just a bunch of individuals. It's to be received by community and applied in community. And so today, to conclude our time in Philippians, I want to do something a little different than what we normally do. And I can't think of a better way, a more fitting way to end our time in this glorious letter than by reading the whole thing over us this morning. That we would sit under God's word, read over us, his living and active word, and receive it this morning. I want to invite you to read along with us as his word is read aloud over you this morning. And I want you to do that no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. Maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and we're grateful that God has brought you to be here this morning. Maybe where you're at in your spiritual journeys, you're just struggling to believe right now. You're struggling in some way to follow Christ, or maybe where you find yourself this morning is that you are rejoicing in the Lord. But no matter where you find yourself, I want to invite you to pay attention and to receive this as a gift of grace to you, to us today. But while you're listening to God's Word read over you and reading it on your own as as it's being read, I want you to to consider taking notes or underlining things or jotting things down that that stick out to you, because I want you to think about three questions this morning. Three questions that I'm going to ask you again at the end to take some time to reflect on. And here are the three questions. What's been encouraging to you from this letter? What's been encouraging to you? Is there anything that the Spirit is convicting or challenging you on from this letter? Then lastly, how should this letter, the truth of it, shape your belief and your behaviors and your worship? So what's been encouraging to you? What's been convicting and challenging to you? And how does it shape your belief and behaviors and worship? So keep those in mind as you hear God's word read over you this morning. And with that, let's jump into Philippians. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. I'm going to have a few brothers and sisters come up and share God's word with us. Chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 2. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in, per, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced by this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, as, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. But I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing to see you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice, and seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply 
every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Man, God's Word is good, isn't it? It's refreshing to hear this living and active Word that God has given to us. And I love how Paul ends this letter. It may seem like a traditional way of of ending a New Testament letter, and in some ways it is, but Paul is always intentional with what he communicates. I mean, this is God's Word to us also. And so as we close out this letter, as we've just had it read over us this morning, I want to just call our attention to a few things that we see just in this final greeting that Paul gives as we close the book of Philippians. First, I I want us to see in these last few verses that he ends this letter right where he began. Look at how he refers to the Philippians. He calls us, he calls the, the reader of this, the letter of this, to every saint he greets in Christ Jesus. He greets the saints. What is most true about you, if you are in Christ, is not that you're a sinner, but that you're a saint. That you're a saint, set apart and saved by grace through faith in Jesus, through who he is and what he's done. Listen, I know you struggle with sin. All of us do. But if you are in Christ, you are a saint, a holy one set apart to glorify God with your life. Paul started the letter that way, and he ends it that way. So brothers and sisters, we can rejoice in that truth, that reality. Let's remember to remind one another of that, that as we greet one another, week in and week out, day after day, that we would greet one another as saints in Jesus. Because the enemy will seek to tell you something different than that. It'll, the enemy will seek to bring up all the things that you've done that have not been honoring to Christ even in this last day or last week. But what we have to remember is that if you are in Christ, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So as we leave this letter, let's not forget that reality. Something else we learn from the closing salutation in this letter is that this letter is for real life. Listen, Paul says, I, I greet every saint. This is a very personal way, as if if Paul is saying that if I was here, I would go around to each individual person and say hello. It's good to see you, brother. It's good to see you, sister. He says that the brothers who are with him greet you. All the saints greet you. This is a a, a personal letter, a real-life letter. It's not an academic paper. It's not a theological treatise, though there's lots of rich theology in it. No, Paul is writing this letter, the realities of this letter. He's calling real people in the midst of real life. And that's still true for you and I today. Paul writes here, what he writes here is to be taken up and lived out by us here and now in the world we find ourselves in. Which leads to the next thing, and it's something that I can't reiterate enough for us as a church, that as we read God's Word, is recognizing there's a communal family aspect to all he has said. It's a reminder that God has done a great work in Philippi. He's saved men and women and he's formed this church. And when we look around here, we see God has done the same kind of thing. He's saved men and women. He's brought them to be in this community together. But the church of Jesus is much more than just the local body of believers. See, this reminder to the Philippians and to us is that you and I are a part of something larger than ourselves. 
larger than our individual lives, larger than our local church. And it's good to be reminded of that because there's a regular temptation, even as we finish this letter, to kind of individualize and privatize our relationship with Jesus. This is kind of me and Jesus thing. But that was never the intention for a life of following Christ. And Paul has sought to communicate that as he's called a group of people to faithfulness. We need each other. The good work God has begun in you and us, he will see through to completion. But let's not miss what he says in this last phrase in verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because Paul is in prison, because he's chained up to guards and has these different officials and people all around him, servants around him, Paul has still continued to preach the gospel to them and some of them have come to know and trust and follow Christ. What Paul's telling us is, listen, there's no one that's too far gone. These people are opposed to Jesus. They follow Caesar, yet they've heard the good news of Jesus. And God has saved them and redeemed them. That's a good reminder to us that no one is too far gone from redeeming grace. No one's too far gone from resurrecting hope that comes in and through Jesus. The gospel advances. And the Philippians have been able to be a part of that. Well, the reality is you and I can be a part of that today as well. See, Paul didn't wait until he got in a better circumstance or situation. He sought to make much of Christ exactly where God had providentially placed him, which at this point in his life is in a prison cell. That means that you can be used by God no matter where you are or what's going on in your life. Listen, God has determined the time and place of your existence. It isn't accidental or inconsequential. And we're going to spend a few, the next couple of weeks talking about that a bit more. But the encouragement to us is you can be who you are where you are. You can be who you are in Christ wherever God has you. Paul was in prison and these guards, these enemies of the cross came to bow their knee before Jesus. And then lastly, Paul concludes this letter with a blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This isn't a throwaway phrase. It's a real blessing that we all need. Everything in this letter from beginning to end focuses on Christ. And the reality is the reason for that is because true progress in this life is a gift of God given to you through grace found in Jesus. It's grace to begin. You didn't figure out that you needed Christ. God sought you out and revealed that to you and poured out grace on you. But listen, it's grace to continue also. That we still need the grace of Jesus in order to be faithful in following him. If you and I, together as a church, are going to be faithful to all that God has called us to be and do, it must begin with grace and end with grace. It must begin with Christ and end with Christ. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Listen, brothers and sisters, I hope that our time in Philippians has been good for you. I hope it's been good for your heart and your mind and your soul. I know it's been that way for me that God has and continues to teach me and challenge me and grow me through his word. And I'll mess up along the way a lot. But I'm thankful for his continual grace, that his mercies are new every single morning. And in that I can rejoice, just as Paul calls us to over and over again, to rejoice in the goodness and loving kindness of our God towards us in Christ. And I hope that you too can rejoice. We're going to come and enjoy the communion meal together this morning. 
But before we do that, I want to invite you just to take a few minutes and pray. We're going to have some time of, of, of silence to do that. And you have that note page in your bulletin, or maybe you have a journal with you, or you can use your phone, whatever you want to do. But just take a few minutes and pray and, and write down answers to those questions I asked at the beginning. As you've received God's Word over these last six months, as you've heard it read over you this morning, what's been encouraging to you from this letter? How has the Spirit convicted you or challenged you? And how should the truth of this letter shape your belief and your behaviors and your worship? So take a few minutes to think, to pray, to give thanks to God, and I'll come back and invite us to come forward to partake of this meal of grace. Father, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you've given us your word. God, that you didn't leave us to ourselves to figure out life, that you saved us and brought us into a relationship with you through Christ, our King, our Savior, our Lord, and you've given us guidance and wisdom and instruction for our good and for our joy. So I pray that as we conclude our time in Philippians at this point in the life of our church, I pray, God, that you would allow the truth of your word to not be something that we vaguely remember, but God, that you would impress it on our minds and our hearts, that you would transform our lives. God, I pray that we would be a a people who are so overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by the reality of who you are and what you have done and are doing in our lives and in our midst, that we would rejoice always. God, I pray we'd be the most joy-filled people even when things are difficult or challenging. And God, I need help for that in my own life. It's easy for me to be distracted. It's easy for me to get down and discouraged about things. And sometimes things are hard, but God, help us to be a people that find joy, not in in what's going well or not going well, but find joy in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that we would be contagious with our joy as we go out into the community around us and that you would call more and more people to yourself. God, help us to take what you've taught us, what you've impressed on us to live that out in our lives, to encourage one another towards faithfulness. God, we thank you for your word that you give us. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us and guides us. And we thank you for Jesus who died for us and rose again that we might have life now and forever. We pray all this in his name. Amen. I want to invite you to come forward this morning to take communion. But when you come forward, I invite you to come forward rejoicing rejoicing in the grace that you've been given in Jesus. So you and I are able to be faithful. We're able to be faithful to all that God has called us to in the book of Philippians because Jesus was faithful. And so as you come forward to eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for you, and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for you, come in the spirit of repentance, come in the spirit of faith to be able to come forward rejoicing, rejoicing for all God has done, is doing and will do. And then let's stand this morning together to sing praises to our God for the richness of his grace, to praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, again, so thankful that God's brought you to be here this morning. I just want to ask you not to come forward to take communion. And the reason for that is because we want you to experience Christ first. Even as you've heard God's word read this morning, I hope that what you experience here today or any week you gather is that we want to exalt the name of Jesus, that our hope is in him alone. 
And so if you don't yet know Christ, we want you to know Christ. Just hang in your seat this morning and pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you are ready to begin that relationship with Jesus, then you can tell God that this morning. Confess your need for a Savior. And then let somebody around here know that. Come up and let me know that so I can pray with you and encourage you. And we can help you know what it looks like to know and follow Christ. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a cup to drink. And what Christ, our Savior, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Come forward whenever you're ready. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.